0: But I'd like to start with a fable. Arnold LaBelle is not quite as popular as C.S. Lewis, and his fables are not quite as popular as Chronicles of Narnia, but they will do for this morning. And our fable this morning is The Bad Kangaroo. There was a small kangaroo who who was bad in school. He put thumbtacks on the teacher's chair. He threw spitballs across the classroom. He set off firecrackers in the lavatory, spread glue on the doorknobs. "'Your behavior is impossible,' said the school principal. "'I am going to go see your parents. "'I will tell them what a problem you are.' "'The principal went to visit Mr. and Mrs. Kangaroo. "'He sat down on the living room chair. "'Ouch,' cried the principal. "'There's a thumbtack on this chair.' "'Oh, I know,' said Mr. Kangaroo. "'I enjoy putting thumbtacks on chairs.' "'A spitball hit the principal on the nose. "'Oh, please forgive me,' said Mrs. Kangaroo. "'I can never resist throwing those things.' There was a loud booming sound from the bathroom. Keep calm, said Mr. Kangaroo to the principal. The firecrackers that we keep in the medicine chest have just exploded. We love the noise. The principal rushed for the front door. In an instant, he was stuck to the doorknob. Pull hard, said Mrs. Kangaroo. There are lots of globs of glue on our doorknobs. The principal pulled himself free, dashed out of the house, ran down the street. Such a nice person, said Mr. Kangaroo wonder why he left so quickly no doubt he had another appointment said mrs kangaroo never mind supper is ready mr and mrs kangaroo and their son enjoy the evening meal and after the dessert they threw spitballs at each other across the dining room table the moral a child's conduct will reflect the ways of his parent well it was 1978 and i can still hear that voice Well, you'll just have to use your imagination. Sandy was pregnant with our first and only child, Luke. We were living in the San Fernando Valley at the time and on the meager uh, salary of InterVarsity Christian Fellowship and wanted to move into a house. And so we decided that we would drive over the hill into Simi Valley, which at that time was still pretty rustic and rural, and see if there might be something that we could afford. And so we drove into the realtor's office and asked if he would show us a couple houses and said he would and asked for our price range, told him what I thought. And so we got into his car and we went to the first house. It was pretty dismal on the outside. We walked into the living room and all you could imagine was that somebody had been working on their motorcycle there in the living room. There was grease and oil all over the carpet and the rest of the house was about in the same condition. Well, we went to a couple other houses that he showed us and then back to the office and Sandy and I left for home. Next day, his manager called us and said, please, don't waste the time of any more realtors. You guys really can't afford any kind of house. Well, that's not the end of that story. The Lord provided in a wonderful way, but that's for another time. Fast forward to 2015. Now we're in our home in Orange, and we've finally decided we're actually gonna bite the bullet and downsize. And so we had seen a house that we thought we might be interested in, and asked a realtor if he would make an arrangement for us to walk through it. And so we did and walked in and the kitchen was bright orange, not our colors. And the carpets were dingy and spoiled. And the realtor's wife turned and looked at us and smiled and said, well, I guess you'll just have to use your imagination. So it was at that point that I realized that that must be the phrase that all realtors are taught in their first day of uh, orientation for realtors, imagination. I don't think I thought much about that word or that concept as a spiritual discipline until I came here to Holy Trinity. But since coming here, that word appears all the time. In fact, it was in one of the quotes that was in the daily, the weekly email that we send out from Holy Trinity that you might have gotten over the last several weeks. It's a quote from James Smith and his book, You Are What You Love. Let me read that quote for us. Worship is the imagination station that incubates our loves and longings so that our cultural endeavors are indexed towards God and His kingdom. If you are passionate about seeking justice, renewing culture, taking up your vocation to unfurl all of creation's potential, you'll need to invest in the formation of your imagination. You need to curate your heart. You need to worship well because you are what you love. Imagination. If there was ever a day in the whole church calendar when we need imagination, it would be today, Trinity Sunday. Because as A.W. Tozer and Dallas Willard and countless others of our spiritual mentors remind us, it's what comes into our minds when we think about God that's the most important thing about us. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Because that's the key question. How do we make sense of our life? Who gives us the framework? What story do we find ourselves in? What's the narrative that makes sense of the world around us? Now, with all due respect to our art historian, who is here with us, you know when we think of the image, the image that's right on the screen now is probably not the first thing that comes to your mind. Now, maybe for some, what comes to your mind is a shamrock, another historic image of the Trinity, possibly a geometric figure. About 10 years ago, this Russian icon a popular image of the Trinity. It's by Andrei Rublev. It was written in the early 1400s. Rublev was trying to depict that scene in Genesis 18 and 19 where three angels came and visited and supped with Abraham. But since then, it's really become more of an image of the Trinity, capturing the unity and maybe the loving interactive community that the Trinity represents. More recent, how about this? from the movie, The Shack. Now, regardless of what you think theologically about the shack, here's an example of imagination. One author depicting the Trinity and their interaction. Now, my guess is that people who are shocked when God is depicted as a black woman would be in good company with those who were shocked when Jesus said that God might be like a woman sweeping her floor, looking for a lost coin. But the question always is, what is our image of God? What image shapes our view of God? Again, more recently, for many of us, Rembrandt's The Return of the Prodigal, based on Henry Nowen's book as he went to look at that magnificent painting and reflected on it. And for many of us, that's an image of the Father and his love and forgiveness, his grace towards us. If you were like me and grew up in Sunday school in the 1950s, maybe this image is familiar to you the sort of Anglo-Saxon Jesus, it was everywhere in the 50s. And for some of us, it's kind of lodged in our mind, can't get it out. And of course, from the time of Jesus, the dove has always been the symbol of the Holy Spirit moving among us. But those are all insider images for those of us who are people of faith. What about for those who are outside? Maybe Gary Larson is the one who most represents for us the what we view God Kind of comic, but yet in its most serious way, maybe God is just a cosmic killjoy. Maybe he's indifferent to the agonizing suffering of the world around us. But we always come back to that question: what's the image of God in our minds and hearts that animates our discipleship, that shapes us? Throughout scripture and story and poem, hymn and praise, we are taught of many of God's characteristics. God is loving kind, faithful, just, sovereign, omniscient, omnipresent. We could go on. But, you know, our imagination really isn't stirred by those concepts. Our imagination and what shapes us is much more stirred by images, images that provide comfort or hope or warning or strength. The images and word pictures in Scripture are robust. Artists for thousands of years have tried to capture those images in canvas or in marble, clay, even in architecture. So I'm going to stop for a moment. I'm going to ask you to stop and think about what image right now is the image of God that really animates your current life of discipleship. You might even want to close your eyes and think again. What, what image sort of focuses for you how you live in the world, how you respond to those around you? Or maybe this morning, You want to ask God to give you an image for the road ahead. Let me give you a moment to think. This morning in Psalm 8, God was the creative artist, artist of the vast universe of the heavens, replete with planets and stars. It's an image that David came back to over and over again throughout the Psalms. You can imagine David as a young shepherd out on the hillside with his flock at night, looking up at the stars, marveling at their vast array. But Creator is not the only image of God. Let me invite you to think about a few others that might again spark or shape your imagination. God as eagle, as lion, as bear, as mother hen. God as light, or fire, rock, or fortress. God as Father, husband, king, judge, redeemer. Now Jesus, who is the image of the invisible God, As we come to know him in the scripture, we come to know him as the morning star, the bread of life, the bridegroom, the light of the world, shepherd, door, vine. And perhaps the image that is most used throughout the New Testament is lamb. And in Revelation, we have the vision of the lamb freshly slain. This morning, the spirit was introduced to us in our Proverbs as Lady Wisdom and then named in our gospel passage as the Spirit of Truth. But we also know the Spirit as wind, breath, fire. Throughout John's gospel, Jesus claims that he's been doing exactly what he sees the Father doing. He's obedient to the Father's will. And he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And now in our passage this morning, he says, all that the Father has given, all that the Father has is mine. And the Holy Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus has a full-orbed understanding of that Trinitarian nature of the Godhead. And when the Holy Spirit takes and declares it to us, as Lady Wisdom promises, that means instruction and knowledge and wisdom, prudence, discretion, counsel, and sound judgment. And then finally in our Romans passage, Paul says that through the death and resurrection of Christ, We have a place in God's story that is almost unimaginable. We have peace with God. We have access to a place of grace. We stand in a place of grace. If there's anything that fuels my imagination, it's this concept that I stand in this environment of grace. That's where I live. That's the place that I find myself. It's a place of freedom, freedom from guilt, past sin, freedom from living in anxiety about the future. It's all about grace. When I left a position that I had been at for 24 years here in Orange County, I was asked what some of the lessons I learned, and lesson number one for me was it's all about grace. It's all about grace. Todd puts it this way. We are always safe in the kingdom of God, but not only peace and grace. Paul says that we have hope, Hope that confident expectation that one day we will share in the glory of God. And it's that hope that sustains us when suffering comes. Look again at your text. Not only so, but we also glory or we rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And this hope does not put us to shame. We never need to be embarrassed about the hope that we have. When we live a different life, when our choices are different than the world around us, because we live in hope, Paul says we never have to live in shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so Paul, too, has that robust view of the Trinity where objectively, because of Christ, we have peace with God. And then subjectively, the love of God is poured into our hearts. But we know what Paul says in this text is not always true. Suffering doesn't always produce perseverance. Sometimes suffering produces discouragement, sometimes bitterness, sometimes anger. Maybe some of us, some of our friends, walking with Christ, and then something comes into our life or to their life. Something so overwhelming that we begin to doubt that we actually are safe in God's story, that we are standing in a place of grace. And so our imagination for God's kingdom, for the hope of the glory that God has for us, becomes clouded. And then, as that cloud covers, we all have friends who've walked away. They've thrown in the towel. It became too much. But the question that always comes to us is what sustains us in those times of confusion, of suffering, being overwhelmed by the mystery of the evil that pervades our world. Again, it's about imagination. It's about imagination about the end, because the end is a banquet, a sumptuous banquet, the greatest of all banquets. It's the wedding banquet of Christ and his bride, the place where we dine with the lamb. Every tear is wiped away. Death and mourning and pain are gone, and we reign with Christ forever and ever. Now, we're given this picture of that banquet so that our imagination is so captivated that that image works its way into the very fiber of our being and develops within us a deep longing. It nurtures a hope capable of sustaining us even in our darkest moments. But until then, we're given a table, a simple table, a table of bread and wine, so that week after week our imagination will be awakened and pointed to that final day when we will fully enjoy the presence of God God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So again, our question this morning is, where is your imagination taking you this morning? You know, that bad kangaroo was acting in the classroom just because he learned it at home. He'd seen his parents. And the way we act in the world, in our neighborhood, in our family, our place of work, our school, reflects what our imagination is about God, who God is, what he's done for us. So, in our time of quiet reflection, you might want to ponder on maybe one of the images spoken this morning or one of the images God gave to you. An image that, as you reflect on it this Trinity Sunday, will help shape your imagination as you think about the love of God, the grace of the Lord Jesus, and the fellowship of the Spirit. And as you reflect and your imagination grows and cultivates, it leads to a transformation of our hearts and a transformation of our way in the world.